0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 13. I got exciting news for you. We're starting a new series, and today's sermon is going to be one verse. Isn't that cool? Isn't that good news? One verse. I'm still going to give you a 45-minute sermon, though, so just buckle up, all right? (laughs) Um, Before we do that, I want to set up this series a little bit. Um, this series is entitled Worthy of It All, Worthy of It All, and it's going to be six weeks, and in these six weeks, here's what you can expect. After today, if you are a, a new attender of Christ Church, if you're not part of the Christ Church family, if you're visiting with us, if you're looking for a church family, here's what you can expect. You can expect five portraits from the scripture of Jesus that puts on display the beauty of a life lived fully devoted. That's what you're going to get week after week after week. You're going to get a portrait of a life lived fully devoted. You see, Jesus is fully devoted to you, even when you falter and fail. Isn't that good news? And he wants all of you for himself. And so that's what these sermons are going to be about. Um, If you're a part of the Christ Church family, if you're with us in our mission to this community, then this is also another level uh, for us as a church family. As you guys know... In July, we kind of altered course. For two years, we had been saving up as a church to expand this facility and build a 550-seat adult auditorium and then renovate this space for our kids. Our goal was to create a a momentum of growth and a a momentum of movement to be a church-planting church. We wanted to multiply churches all over Volusia County. And we expected God to raise up, identify, and empower leaders and uh, worshipers, and, and to put together church plants, and then to send them out into the communities where there is not a life giving church. And so that is what we were seeking to do. And this uh, kind of ep- economic little skirmish that we've run into, interest rates going up, construction costs going through the roof, and labor availability plummeting, um, we, we started coming to the Lord and going, All right, Lord, we are right here on the cusp, ready to build this thing, and now it seems like it's going to cost us two times maybe more of what we were planning, and who knows how long it'll take, and we can't, what are we going to do while we're waiting for that to happen? And so it was at that point that the Lord has provided for us the historic First Presbyterian Church on the beachside in Daytona, a 24,000-square-foot campus that came available for us that we were able to purchase in July of this year, which has now launched us into a season we did not foresee of being a multi-site church. We never intended to be a multi-site church, but we are venturing into expanding through the use of multi-site. Now, I want to explain just a little tiny bit because some of you have come from a multi-site church, you've experienced that before, or you've heard about it and judged it from a distance. Some of you are thinking, that is not what I am want to be a part of. Now, the traditional multi-site model would be a church like ours keeps growing and growing until it gets big, then it becomes a mega church, has a big building, and then it can't keep growing in that site, and so it gobbles up little dying churches for breakfast. And then it infuses those dying churches with people from the mothership. And then they, they put down a screen and they play church at another building in another city. And so some people go to church and watch it live and other people sit in a room and watch it on a TV screen. And for whatever reason, this has caught on. Now, this was never a very attractive model to me personally. And I couldn't imagine myself sitting in a room watching other people have church in another city. That does not seem like it makes sense to me at all. But that is not exactly what we're doing. So I want to just explain to you so you have a clear picture of of how we're going to do multi-site and how it's going to be temporary, because our goal is to be a multiplying church. Do you understand? So we can't do that this fast, but we also, we can't can't respond to the growth that we're experiencing as a church, and so that's, we're going to do multi-site temporarily. Here's how we're going to do it. It's a little unconventional. We're setting up both campuses in Port Orange and Daytona Beachside to be sending and receiving churches. Both churches are going to have live worship bands and a live pastor, staff pastor at the location. There will never be a church where there's not live worship and not a live pastor. And whoever is preaching, and that's typically me, but we're going to share that as a pastoral staff, will be on screen from either location and will take turns being live preaching in each location. So no one's, there's not going to be like the good campus and the bad campus, okay? I just want you to be like, just face that reality, we are going to have a big campus and a regular-sized campus. This campus is eight, just over 8,000 square feet. The Daytona campus is 24,000 square feet. It's three times the size of this. But it's just got lots and lots and lots of rooms, which is great because we've been saying no to things for years because we haven't had a room to do it in. And now we don't have to say no to as many things. Praise Jesus, somebody say amen. Yeah. But the auditoriums are not going to be that much different in size, and the capacity is going to be about the same. But here's the thing. We're going to be able to continue to add services in multiple locations and continue to grow and right away. And so since July, when we closed, um, we have hired a general contractor, Kevin Good, who's in this service. And Kevin's been overseeing the renovations of this project. He was a part of, uh, he and his wife, Janine, have been a part of our church for a few years now. Kevin was on our expansion team for the Port Orange location. And so he's overseeing this project. Now, um, we put together a budget based on all the things that we'd like to do on, at that campus and the equipment we're going to need to retrofit this campus to be a sending and receiving campus. And so we have a budget or a projected cost of right about $500,000 to do everything, which is not that much money considering the amount of square footage and all the things we're trying to get done. But it is more than we have. So we're doing what all of us do. You guys have ever started, you're like, we're going to build our dream home. And then you're going to be like, well, and then you 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 just value engineer it down a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever had somebody come out to give you an estimate for your pool? You're like, we're going to get a pool, and I want fountains, and I want a jacuzzi, and I want, I want a mermaid tile on the bottom. I want a holographic dolphin to jump through the pool, you know? And then they bring you the bid, and you're like, uh, how about a 12 by 24 rectangle with nothing? How about, how about that? How about we do that? Can we do that? What's that cost? And so that's what we're doing as a church right now. We've got our wish list of all the things we'd like to do, and then we have, so that's about 500 grand, and it could grow because there's still some things we're waiting on. Um, but we have about 350 grand cash ready to do this project. Now, there's a few things that can happen at this point. Um, We can shrink the projected costs by uh, mobilizing members of our Christchurch family who wanna be generous either with their time, donations, uh, or materials. So if you're here and you are a supplier of construction materials or you are a subcontractor or you are a tradesman or you have something that you can contribute to this and you want to do so for free or even at a reduced rate or even at your full rate but you want to compete with the other projects, you are welcome to talk to Kevin. And so Kevin is going to uh, facilitate and coordinate all of the construction. So don't call me and don't text me. Text Kevin. This is Kevin's number right here. I'm putting it on the screen. Isn't that cool? Look, Kevin's number. Everyone's got it now. Hi, Kevin. So it's going to be great. So that's number one. That's the first thing you can do. Is uh, You can call Kevin. Um, and the more, the more work and things we can have donated, I mean, already just from, we've had two demo days, and already we've been able to strike thousands of dollars off of the budget from people's donated time, okay? So this is something we can do. Awesome. Uh, second thing you can do is just begin to prayerfully consider uh, making a donation, a big donation to this project so that we could do everything we wanna do. Now, we have phased the project. So we, we know what it's gonna cost us to move in and to start having church, and that's phase one. But there's lots of other room in this building that we could wait to to renovate until we are able to put the money together. But do we want to do that, church? I don't want to do that. But if we have to, we will. So we have a plan, uh, and we have the money to do what we need to do. But there's a there's a phasing to this. So that that is we're working that out. But on the 22nd of October, we're going to conclude this series with a Sunday that we're calling "Say Yes Sunday." Say Yes Sunday. And if you're a part of the Christchurch family, you're going to have an opportunity to do two things or three things. You're going to be able to sow, serve, and share. Uh, when I say sow, I'm talking about sowing a financial gift. You guys know if you come to Christchurch, we don't take an offering. We don't do plates. We don't even talk about money. Uh, we preach about it when it comes up in the scriptures. I talk about it to people all the time, but we don't make it a part of our service. So our offering boxes are on the back wall. And a lot of people come in, they're like, shocked by that. I have people all the time, they go, when do you give in this church? How do you give in this church? And I love that you have to actually have to ask. And part of the reason is the New Testament's teaching on, on giving is that yes, Christians should give, but we should give intentionally and not out of coercion. And so we don't want your $20 guilt money from your pocket. You can leave it in your pocket. Take that home with you. Um, but if you're giving intentionally, that means you're thinking about it, praying about it. You're giving sacrificially. It's meaningful, and then you are doing that as an act of worship, and so that's kind of the way we do giving at Christ Church. We're gonna have a big offering on October 22nd, and you're gonna have an opportunity maybe to go way outside of the realm of comfortable for you, and we're gonna take the next six weeks to really prayerfully consider what does God want us to do. Now, a bunch of us just spent two years putting together like a million bucks trying to build that building over there, And the only reason we were able to expand is because of the faithfulness and generosity of a bunch of other people. And so some of you are like, I'm tapped out. I did all I can do. And that's fine. But... We've grown by like 40% since we started that initiative. And so there's some people here who have never had a chance to sow into the mission of God. And as we put forward these, these portraits of a life fully devoted and a Jesus that's worth giving everything to, I guarantee you, your heart is gonna be moved. This is not about a building. It's not about a church. It is not about our mission, our strategy, our comfort. It is about the kingdom of God bringing souls into eternity. That's why we're here, amen? And so you're gonna have a chance to sow. You're also gonna have a chance to serve, okay? So we're about to be doing church in two locations And when it starts to grow, that means we're gonna be adding services at both locations. And so there's gonna be lots of places where we need team members. We are gonna need people in the cafe, ushers, greeters, welcome, kids, uh, kids' Bible teachers, crew leaders, welcome desk, all over the place, we're gonna need people. And so on that Sunday, this 22nd of October, Say Yes Sunday, we're gonna have a description of all of the places of service that we need, the position and the location and the service time. And so you'll be able to sign up to serve as a part of the team uh, moving forward. Now, this obviously will be kind of ramping up towards the early 2024 launch date, but this is going to be the day we all say yes. And then the last thing you'll be saying yes to, and you don't have to wait till October to do this, and that's to share. Somebody say, share. 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 You know, a big part of our lives as Christians, as Jesus followers, is, is, is to recognize that our story now revolves around Jesus. You know, we are part of a rescue story, and Jesus is the main character. And really, if we're following Jesus closely, all of our stories ought to include him. Do you know that? I don't really tell a lot of stories about what my life is like without including Tiffany and my kids because they're right there with me in the middle of everything. And the same ought to be true about our Jesus. You know that? And so we need to start pushing ourselves a little bit to make sure that the stories we're telling have Jesus at the center. And a big part of that is going to be what you're giving yourself to. You're signing up to serve. You're giving uh, in ways you've never done before. That testimony is about the kingdom of Jesus, uh, this new strategy as a church. But ultimately, it's about him and what he's done for other people. And so I want you to consider um, brushing up your testimony. And inviting people to church. Invite them now. Invite people in Daytona and different places you go. Have them come down here. Let them know we're coming to a neighborhood near them. And this is something that is going to get us ready for when it's time to launch that second campus. And so that's coming. I just want you to consider what it would look like for you to play your part in helping us to do what God wants to do in this next season. And so I want to start this series today with one verse. And that verse is Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 13, Verse 44, here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that God, we thank you for your word. Even this one little verse gives us such an insight, such a window into the world as it truly exists, into the world we've been invited into, into the world that brings us fullness of joy. God, I pray that today you would unlock some people's identities to see themselves as you see them in Christ. God, that you would help us to step into our purpose on this planet and to live as a part of your kingdom bringing. God, I pray that you would build your church, you would build relationships, Lord, all that center around Jesus. And so would you do your work and help us to live lives that say that Jesus is worthy of it all. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 How many of you guys have uh, like vivid dreams? You got any dreamers in the room? Like half of you? No? A third of you? How many of you guys are like, I never dream? Raise your hand. Like, uh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like a, not a never dreamer, but I'm like a rarely dreamer. And like, I'm that guy that like, I have a dream and I wake up and I'm like, that was weird. Yes. And then like, by the time my coffee's done brewing, it's gone. Do you get anybody like that? You guys like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. So that's how I live. And, but every once in a while, i have, like, a, a dream that's so vivid that I wake up. You know those ones that feel real, and then you wake up, you're like, oh, that wasn't real. You know those ones? Yeah. And so I had one of those dreams this past week. And in my dream, um, Tiffany and I were in our bedroom talking, and our bed was made. So it must have been Tuesday. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Julian, our six, almost seven-year-old, comes in, and he's got a handful of, like, dirty metal things, and he sets them on our bed. And I was like, buddy, no, 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 don't put that on my bed. You know, that's why it seems real. And... Um, and in the metal things were just random items. And then there was this one coin. And, um, and I picked up this coin. It was kind of big. And I was like rubbing this coin off. And I'm like, man, what is this? This is crazy. And then, you know how dreams sometimes like shift scene. And then you're like totally different place, totally different time. Well, the coin was like, ends up being worth like millions of dollars. And then I woke up, right? You're like, well, that's kind of a cool dream. Well, no, the next day, right? Have that dream. The next day. Our whole family's doing a little trip to Hobby Lobby. So we have three daughters, so it's craft central at our house. So Hobby Lobby. And uh, we're all there together. And Julian runs like kind of to the area where all the boy toys are and the model cars and all the science experiments and all that stuff. And he goes, dad, 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 I want this. And he's pointing to a metal detector. And so if you're like me, you're like, I'm buying that. (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't have a dream like that. And then a coincidence. that's not, I don't care if that is a coincidence. I'm taking my chances on that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm also a millennial, so I didn't buy it from Hobby Lobby. I got it on Amazon. I was like, better, cheaper, Amazon Prime tomorrow. Sorry, Hobby Lobby. Love what you're doing. You know, like, <laughs> feed the beast. That's what I did, okay? So yesterday, the, um, the metal detector comes, and we, I get it all set up, and I'm, like, showing them how it works. And so um, uh, Evie's birthday, our oldest, she's 14. Today's her birthday. Happy birthday, Evie, on the front row. Love you. So uh, she had some friends over, and they're having a little pool party. So it's all girls at our house and Julian. And so he's out there in the yard digging up holes and, you know, with beep, 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 beep. He's going crazy. He's having a good old time um, collecting all this kind of stuff and um, making our yard look rather different than it did before. He's got this little pile of metal trash that he's collected from the yard. Anyway, so pray for, pray for Julian and his searching skills. I love that I love that Jesus tells this story, one of these parables. And he harnesses this like feeling that all of us can connect with about discovering hidden treasure. I mean, it's not hard for us to like imagine for a second to like put ourselves in the in the experience of the man in this short, short, short parable. Now, Jesus told dozens and dozens and dozens of parables all about the kingdom of heaven. And all of them kind of like highlight different aspects and components. It's kind of like that game when you're in middle school where you have to stick your hand in a bag and feel stuff and guess what it is that's in there. And Jesus would do this with the parables. And all of these parables kind of like sh- put an angle on or shine a light on a component of this, this new and unforeseen reality that Jesus came proclaiming in the first century. And so he, he, he harnesses this desire all of us have for like life-altering wealth and the experience that we can imagine of discovering that out of the blue. And he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And I want us to consider this this one verse in three ways this morning and i want us to think about what it would mean for us to be able to like jesus describe our experience of the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven with this type of experience that this man had in matthew 13:44 if you're taking notes the first thing i'm going to talk about is the kingdom if you're writing things down <clears throat> there's probably like two of you still that write things down the kingdom somebody say the kingdom The kingdom. Now, the kingdom is this kind of enigmatic message that Jesus begins to preach. And so Matthew's gospel starts off with Jesus kind of picking up the momentum of John the Baptist, who is calling the Israelites of the first century to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after Jesus is baptized and led through the wilderness in the temptation of the the devil, then he begins to proclaim the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message. A few verses later. Chapter 4 and verse 23, it says he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of its arrival, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so he's not only proclaiming it, but he's demonstrating its impact in people's real lives through miracles. This is what Jesus is doing. And then he goes throughout his teaching sections in Matthew's gospel, and he describes for people in so many various ways what the kingdom of heaven is is like. And the problem is we want, in our kind of 21st century Western kind of, kind of um, scientific minds, we want there to be a scripture that says, the kingdom of heaven is, and then it describes what the kingdom of heaven is. And Jesus doesn't do that for us. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like unto this, and it's like unto that. And he causes us to actually engage in our imaginations and our human experience to have like a puzzle that gets put together with all of these pieces. And he wants us to have this experience so the fullness of what this kingdom is emerges for us in a way that it hangs on to us. And so what, what is the kingdom? If we were to go through all of those realms and, and how does this particular parable fill out what the kingdom of heaven is? Now, a kingdom is easy. A kingdom is a realm over which a king rules. And Israel was a kingdom in the first century And there are kingdoms now. There's nations with borders and rulers and cultures and identity and laws. And so everyone knows what a kingdom is, but what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is that domain over which God rules as king. And of course, the Old Testament is projecting and prophesying, forecasting the king that God was gonna send, this messianic figure who Jesus claims to be. And he is going to lead in such a way that he brings about the will of God on the earth. And so the kingdom of heaven is, is the rule and reign of God spreading on the earth through allegiance to God's king, Jesus. And so we've got a king. And, and notice that Jesus is very um, paradoxical, but the, the gospel writers present him as, as a, coron, a coronated king in all of them. He is crowned in all gospels. He is robed in all gospels. And he is lifted up in all gospels and yet this king is a different kind of king and he reveals a different kind of glory because he reveals the love of god for humanity and the salvation of humankind through faith in god's king and so jesus goes into the tomb into the ground and on the third day is resurrected to new life and then ascends into heaven before his disciples. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. And that is the world we truly live in. And yet he is not coming back to execute his authority in judgment because he is doing a work of kingdom bringing in the hearts and minds of humans. And that kingdom brings about the righteous rule of God in the earth. And this is where we are. This is what we fit into. Now, All of the kingdom parables uh, focus on the consummation when Jesus comes back. You know, we're in an interim period, but Jesus, our risen king, is going to return in judgment. And so there's a lot of parables that are all about the great sorting. There's Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like grain and chaff. And you throw it up in the air and you whip it out and it separates the two things. He says that he's going to come with his angels and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You remember these parables? Any of you go to Bible study? Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a giant net that captures all kinds of fish that then has to be sorted out, the good fish from the bad fish. He talks about it being like grain that has tears sewn into it and so there's wheat and there's weeds and it's kind of a big hodgepodge but he's gonna come back and he's gonna sort it out. Now, two things. Number one, that should really alter your expectations about what you experience in church if it's a mixed bag. I'm not telling you which one of you are wheat and which one of you are weeds. But I think it's funny when people come to me and they're like, somebody in your church was rude to me. And I'm like, yeah. So they're rude to me. Like, what what did you expect? Did you expect you're going to come in here where everyone's an angel? Like, these are people. Like, we let anybody come here. We let you come here. You know, like, seriously, like, what do you expect when you get around other people? And Jesus is like, hey, it's a mixed bag. There's good and bad. and And don't, but that's, that's what you should expect. So like, let's just lower our expectations a little tiny bit. You know what I'm saying? Especially before we like go to another city and start getting their weirdos too. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone's welcome and we can't see what God's doing. But the second thing is, isn't it good news that he's the one who's gonna sort that out? Isn't it good news that we don't have to sort it out? Man, I've been a part of some churches that thought it was their job to pluck the weeds Oh, nope, you're out. Oh, you're out. You're out. I went to a church where one person got baptized in 10 years and eight people got excommunicated. I'm like, this is not a good strategy. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing around here, but it's not working. And so let's leave it to Jesus. Amen? He illustrates for us that this kingdom is upon us. It's here. It's near. It's at hand. He keeps saying it over and over again. And then he says, and here's what it's like, this kingdom it's like, number two, a discovery. For both of you taking notes. A discovery. The discovery. Here's what it's like. It's like a man who's walking across a field. And I don't know, he doesn't even fill in the blanks. Like, I don't know where your imagination goes. Does your imagination work when you, like, read the Bible? Does it, like, fill in stuff? Like, I don't know. I've heard some preachers say, like, this was like a field hand, and he was working in the field of a farmer. I'm like, what? Not in there anywhere. What are you talking about? This looks like a dude taking a shortcut. To me, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but... No, and I imagine, I imagine like all of us, you guys know you guys know, like you pull up in a parking lot and you can see that path where all the grass is worn out and they didn't really think through the shortest distance between those spots and that front door, you know? Like that's what I imagine. This guy's taking the road and he's like, I'm going over there and I don't know, right across the field. And walking across this field, discovers something. I don't know if he put his foot on it or sees something, you never know. But he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man and he has this experience of discovery. And he looks and sees this treasure hidden in a field, and that, like, speaks to me because, like, this is what, this is what all of us are supposed to experience when the good news about Jesus reaches our hearts and minds, and if you don't have a picture of the kingdom of heaven that feels like, I just found something that changes everything, then you, you may not have found it yet, I read an NBC News article from 2014. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. A Northern California couple was out walking their dog on their seven-acre property and stumbled across a modern-day bonanza, $10 million in rare mint condition coins buried in multiple coffee cans in the shadow of an old tree. Nearly 1,430 coins dating from 1847 to 1894, uncirculated mint condition. The face value of these coins, are $20 gold coins added up to $27,000 in currency. To melt them down would be almost a million dollars just in gold weight. But because of how rare these were and because of the mint condition, they added up to over $10 million with one of those coins fetching a million dollars at auction. Wow. How about that? How would you like, some of you, I'm looking at your faces and some of you feel like I do on the inside. You're like, nothing like that ever happens to me. <laughs> If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That's how you look right now. You look like figures would be a Californian, you know? Figures, yeah. After taxes, that's like 18 bucks they found, you know? Like, just... But it's partially because it seems too good to be true and all of us are like, like, oh, that would, that's, nothing like that's ever gonna happen. Don't even get it in your mind that something like that would ever happen, you know? You just kind of stay away from that idea. But Jesus is saying like, This kingdom that has come, that he has inaugurated, initiated, and brought is near at hand. It's right in front of you, and here's what it's like. It's like treasure beneath your feet. It's like treasure, and it's like treasure that changes everything. Listen, finding $10 million in coffee cans in your yard, I don't think you would ever look back on your life before that moment and be like, yeah, it was basically the same, right? Right? You guys remember, like, like things happen and things are never the same. COVID. Remember remember life before COVID? I was looking at pictures from 2019. I was like, we were so young. We knew so little. You know? (laughs) That's how I felt. I mean, I was trying to describe to my kids pre-9-11 air travel. Do you get anybody old enough to remember waiting at the gate for your friend? Walking all the way into the airport. Just here to pick up a friend. (laughs) Now it's like, what's your problem? You know, like... (laughs) It's like never gonna be the same ever again. Used to take like Daytona Airport, it's like I'm going to Dallas, Texas. I'm gonna get to the airport 13 minutes before my flight takes off. And now it's like three hours, take your clothes off. You know, like what? what has happened? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy the world we live in. Used to be this way, thing happened, never the same again. And like, but our life is full of those moments, isn't it? Some of them are great, some of them are terrible. I, my life up until the moment that I met Tiffany was one way. And from that point forward, it's been completely better in every conceivable way, you know? Yeah, it's true. It has been. It has been true. Same thing for the birth of our children. Like we tried for seven years. We couldn't have any children. I mean, when we finally had children, we're still grateful for all four of our children. That's how long we had to wait. Every day we're like, it's a miracle, you know? I'm wiping peanut butter off the counter. God bless them all, you know? It's just amazing. It's great. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Oh, someone dumped out a bag of chips, praise Jesus. You know, like, it's still, it's just nothing but gratitude for them all the time. Why? Because everything was a certain way and then something changed forever. But it's not always good either, is it? Sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it's a diagnosis and it was life before the diagnosis and then I after. Or a car accident. Or a divorce. Or a betrayal. Never the same. Jesus is saying, when you encounter him, it's one of those never the same moments but it's a never the same moment that leaves you breathless with joy. Amen. Never the same. Think about the disposition that this guy has. What all of us would have. You know, we're living this life collecting things. Have you guys ever had to move after like 10 years in a place? And you go like, how did I get all of these things? You know? I moved in here with like six forks and a couch and now I need two U-Hauls to get everything in the same space. How did this get here? We all live collecting things that bring us joy. And if you're like me, like I don't like things that don't bring me joy because I spend my life picking up, organizing, cleaning, and taking care of things that don't bring me joy and that puts me in a really bad mood. Anybody like me? I like to purge things all the time. When, t- when the kid- Tiffany's like, these don't fit the kids anymore. I'm like, good. <laughs> get them out of the house. I never want to fold those clothes ever again. That's how I feel. But every- that means everything that I have Actually brings me joy. Like I love cooking. You guys know this. Like that's my happy place after work. I'm like, get my stuff out. I have this knife. I, I'm gonna smile right now just thinking of it. I have this one knife, and it's so sharp, and the grip is so perfect. And this this knife like brings me joy. I mean, I'm like cutting carrots. Like oh, I love this knife. This thing is great. I bring this thing on vacation. That's how much I love this knife. I've been on vacation and been like, oh, these knives are terrible. I wish I had my knife. Now I just bring it. Because everything that I have at this point. Brings me a little bit of joy. And all of us do this. And we have this little life. Some of, some of us have a lot of stuff. Some of us have a little bit of stuff. But all this stuff we have are our little basket of joy. And we're trying to like collect joy. We're just bring, 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 bring joy. Joy, 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 joy. And We're in this pursuit of joy. And this, this guy's saying, Jesus is saying about this guy, he had this experience where he discovered something that made him go home to all that stuff and go, sell it. Why? Because it's incomparably valuable what he's just discovered. It's, it's meaningless. Everything he has is trash compared to what he's just discovered. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3. I read this last week, but he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You are being invited into something that is worth everything and causes you to last forever, and it fills you and inundates you with perfect joy all the time. And so there's the kingdom, there's the discovery, and there's the response. Number three, the response. Um, It's really just about being affected. It's not about what you do, it's about what you feel. What you do flows naturally out of what you feel. When you discover Jesus, you will naturally sort out all the stuff in your life because you have made an exchange, all the stuff I have for all the stuff he wants to give me. Isn't Isn't that interesting? Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me. Do you know that? And he says, I will give you everything that you could never get. And all I ask is everything you've ever had. And it doesn't matter how much that is. But if you discover this kingdom of heaven, if you discover in the face of Jesus what God is giving you and gifting you and offering you and bringing you into every other little thing you have, sell it, sell it. And with great joy. I love the hymn, maybe you guys will sing this on Friday, I don't know, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the third line says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Listen, if you haven't discovered the kingdom of heaven to the point where you are all in all the time, no matter what it costs, and with a smile on your face, you haven't discovered the kingdom of heaven. That's right. I want to end. I want to end right here, and I want to draw your attention to a second short parable that Jesus places right next to this one. He, in fact, he attaches these two to e- to each other with the word "again." I didn't read it because I didn't want you to be distracted, but. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see the connections and the comparison between these two parables? You have two people, They have a discovery, they sell everything that they have to get that thing. And you see what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing by contrast out to something different. In the first story, the man happened across by accident this hidden treasure. And in the second story, instead of that, it's a merchant in search of something, and he's collecting all of the best of those things until he finds the one that he knows he will never see another one like this. And so he exchanges all that he's previously invested to have this one thing. Do you see that? See that? Jesus is saying there is a search going on and the question is the question is are you cutting across a field and missing hidden treasure by an inch or are you searching for it and the reality is is that all of us are searching for it to some degree we don't know what it is but we are looking for it we're looking for joy we're looking for love we're looking for purpose we're looking for meaning we're looking for peace and sometimes that leads us on a very productive pursuit of education and business development and relationships and strength and wealth. And sometimes it takes us down to fall down the flight of life's stairs and land at the bottom, and then to seek that peace and that joy at the bottom of a bottle or the needle in your arm. But all of us are seeking for joy. Do you know that? I had the opportunity to preach to our youth group this past Wednesday night, and there was 30 or 35 middle school and high school students in the room, and and. Um, I was just asking the Lord beforehand, what do you wanna wanna say to these kids? And, And he put in my heart the message of Luke chapter 14, or 15, you may know this chapter, it's very famous, and it's got the story of the prodigal son. Do you guys know this story? But Jesus actually tells the Pharisees a parable, and he calls it one parable, but then he tells three stories. And they do the same thing that he does here, He tells stories that feature the same thing, and then he makes a difference at the end to make a point. And here's what he says. He says, which one of you, um, if you had 100 sheep and you lose one, would not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one? And when you found it, you would come back and say, celebrate with me. And which woman among you who had 10 coins and lost one would not light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she found it? And when she found that, that precious coin, likely a, a headdress, part of a, a wedding dowry, it's very uh, sentimental, it's not about the value of the coin. When she finds it, and she says to her friends, come and celebrate with me for I found my coin. And then he said, a man had two sons. And he tells a story of a lost son. He tells a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in the story, the son comes to his presumably wealthy Jewish father and asks for his inheritance, which is effectively saying, I don't care about you. I wish you were dead. All I want from you is what I can get from you, and so give me my inheritance now. Now, this would have been uh, deeply offensive to Jesus' first-century Jewish audience, and their expectation would have been that the dad would have cut him off and kicked him out. But in the story... Jesus tells, the father divests whatever he needs to to give the son his inheritance and sends him on his way. And so he's got everyone's attention. This son goes and spends this fortune in in wild living and eventually runs out of money. And at the point of him running out of money and being penniless and friendless, a famine happens. And he finds himself at the lowest point uh, humanly imaginable for a first century man, and that is to have hired himself out to a Gentile and to be the keeper of pigs, which were ceremonially unclean. And even in that environment, he was envious of the food that the pigs were eating. And he has this moment of being at rock bottom, and he recognizes that even the servants, the slaves in his father's house, had it better than him. And so he practices this speech, and he decides he's going to go home. And in his speech, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me one of your hired servants. And so he begins practicing this speech and he makes his way home. And what he discovers is not a father who is maybe willing to take him up on his offer or maybe who casts him out never to be seen again, but he finds his father upon making eye contact running in his direction and wrapping his arms around his dirty and disgusting son. And the son can't even get the speech out. The father doesn't even acknowledge the content of what he says. And instead he begins to order a feast, be prepared, that shoes be put on his son's feet and a ring on his finger to reestablish him as a returned son and he puts a coat on him and he welcomes him home and they begin to celebrate. And a lot of times you hear sermons about the prodigal son and it features this compassionate love of the father and that is awesome and it's intact and it's good. And, and I did that for the kids. I stopped right there and I said, you guys need to know that you can always come home. This is how God feels about you. It doesn't matter how bad you screw up, you can always come home. And our middle school students need to know they can always come home. Do you know that? And our high school students and our college students and your adult children. They all need to know they can always come home. Can always come home. But that's not how the story ends. The story ends when the older brother hears the commotion of celebration and asks one of the servants well, what's going on in there he says your, your brother has come home and your father's fil- killed the fatted calf and they're celebrating and he loses it what he's angry that his son the son has been accepted now you can imagine why that's impacted his inheritance and now if he's re a son we're dividing that inheritance again and it's actually costing him something for this son to come home and he's angry at the way that his father's shown mercy while he's been, done, been doing the right thing. And he tells him that. The father comes out to entreat him to come in. And he says, look, I've been here working for you this whole time. You've done nothing for me. And so the father addresses this angry son. And he says, it was fitting that we should celebrate. For your brother, my son, was dead, but is alive. He was lost and has been found. And then the story ends, and you don't know whether that older brother goes into the party or not. And Jesus tells that story that way for the same reason, because in each of those three stories, something precious was lost, and the right person went looking for it. A shepherd went looking for a sheep. A woman went looking for a coin. But who was supposed to go looking for that little brother? His older brother was supposed to be looking for him. And he didn't, because he stood in judgment over him because he saw the world through the eyes of his own righteousness, of his own wants and desires, of a world system that said, I'll get mine if I do mine, and that's not fair. And the story ends with this compassionate, loving father appealing to a lost rebel son and a lost religious son. And the question is, which lost are you? And will you come? Now, Luke's gospel does even more than that because Jesus presents himself as the son of God who has come to seek and save that which is lost. The good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is that there is an older brother who did come in pursuit of rebellious lost children. And he was crowned, and he was robed, and he was lifted up. He went into the ground, but he didn't wait there to be discovered. On the third day, he got up and he walked out and he's called his followers in every generation to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to welcome everybody home. And so it's not a hidden treasure. It ought to be a treasure that's proclaimed in every conversation, in every family, in every church gathering, in every small group. It ought to be on your Facebook page and your Instagram. Heck, you can tattoo it on the inside of your left arm. Just tell somebody how much God loves them. Just be a person that lives with great joy and goes all in in God's direction and says, I'm, I'm, what can I give? You're worthy of it all. Do you see it? Do you see it? This is the kingdom of heaven. And so, Father, I just pray for every person in this room. Lord, I know that there are those, oh, there's those who have not discovered what it means to have found that hidden treasure, to go and sell everything they have to obtain it. And so, God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would work in their hearts to draw them to you that they would know that there is real joy to be experienced, real eternal significance and value and meaning in a relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are present, who believe these things to be true but have effectively buried that treasure right back up. They know where they're keeping it, but they've gone about their lives. But I just pray in this moment that you give us eyes to see Jesus. Lord, that there would be a great exchange that takes place. God, that we would be giving you our everything all the way with nothing held back because you are worthy of it all. Let's stand and respond, church. Come on.